0: Okay, so if we all do the Jackie oh. voice, then that might be the ticket. There it
1: is.
2: I'm 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 Wilson live I'm Benjamin Yap. Nanny license. Yeah, listening
1: to <laughs>
2: Dip Cut. No, fuck. Okay. <laughs>
1: Asmer edition. you say asthma and not ASMR? It sounds way funnier. Asmer. Asmer.
0: On Deep Cut, we wanted Jack to defeat communism. Ben wrote a poem about Jackie. Oh, you can recite it on air. I would love that. No, thanks. <laughs>
1: ben, this is your poem. What? I had to do
2: my poem? Read it!
0: It's a great piece of writing. Oh my god. (laughs) Go! Uh,
2: She floated through the halls like a pink specter. Each door agape as if it were gasping. The sound of her heels trailing behind her and slipping through the thick air. Damn, I wrote this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you did! (laughs) Snaps.
2: Sweet! I should have done it in a Jackie voice, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late.
1: Nah. <clears throat> On Deep Kite, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss a director's life in Korea to bring in context that helps
2: us view their movies as they may want us to.
1: Fellows, <laughs> Pablo
0: Larraín. Heard of him? No. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> well, he's a big deal. <laughs> And just in time for his newest biopic that reevaluates the emotional life and psyche of a famous 20th century public figure starring an actress putting on a very specific accent, Spencer, we're discussing his previous biopic that reevaluates the emotional life and psyche of a famous 20th century public figure starring an actress putting on a very specific accent, Jackie. <laughs> if that wasn't clear, we're talking about Pablo Lorraine's Jackie from 2016.
2: Wow, what an excellently unscripted piece <laughs> of dialogue you've just spoken life. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Right off the dome. Freestyle. So, did we all encounter Jackie for the first time at that screening at our alma mater? Yeah, Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, it was. And everyone was floored.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I really remember everyone walking out of that feeling similarly like transported mm-hmm. like they're wearing heels and a very thick coat yeah. yeah it was weird that they gave those out at the screening
1: it was a preview screening as well right was it yeah it was before the movie came out
0: which is funny because they did preview screenings of things like get out at our school and that made sense for our demographic mm-hmm. but i feel like jackie isn't quite
1: aimed at us other than being like film snobs <laughs> and like gay people <laughs> 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 it was a packed screening and I remember that time being absolutely floored. Yeah. Jackie really rocked my world that year. And I was a big Jackie supporter come award season. And I think Natalie was robbed of that Oscar mm. for sure. Who won? Emma Stone. La La Land. Oh, that was that year. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh...
0: Wait, real quick. I feel like some people ask, like, do you remember where you were on 9-11? Or in a previous generation, like, when JFK was assassinated, do you remember where you were? Yes. Mm. I think for our generation, it might be the La La Land-Moonlight mix-up. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Ooh. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Not any of the number of tragedies that we're living through. <laughs> it was
2: its own kind of tragedy. It was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I also loved Jackie and that screening really moved me and since then I went on to watch Lorraine's other movie that got released in 2016, Neruda, which is another Mm. biopic but definitely angles further into fictionalization in ways that I don't remember fully getting on board with but I would be willing to revisit it and I admire Lorraine as a director a lot I haven't seen any more of his work. So for now, I'm just bringing in the popular pick this week with Jackie. Mm -hmm. And I think Wilson is going to be taking the deep cut pick next week.
1: It's all on me. Even though I haven't seen his debut. No, not his debut, but the film called The Club. El Club. Mm. And I also haven't seen no shit.
0: (laughs) So this is actually a nice segue into his background. He actually made a lot more movies before Jackie and El Klub than I realized. Mm. So he was born Pablo Larraín Mate on August 19th, 1976, in Santiago, Chile. Larraín's father was a law professor and senator, and his mother was the minister of housing and urbanism. Their political affiliation was conservative right-wing party, the independent democratic union, which is interesting because Larraín's first handful of films deal directly with the American-backed right-wing murderous military dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet in the 1970s in Chile. Mm. Laraine has said about that, quote, in Chile, the right, as part of the Pinochet government, is directly responsible for what happened to culture during those years, not only by destroying it or restricting its spread, but also through its persecution of writers and artists, end quote. So he clearly feels strongly about that. And he makes movies about that dictatorship the first stage of Lorraine's career culminates with No in 2012, which Wilson mentioned, and that sees him working with Mexican superstar actor Gael García Bernal, who we adore. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? No, we
1: love GGB. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> this is when Laraín starts to get more international attention. He makes El Club in 2015 and Neruda in 2016, and then he makes the jump to English-language pictures with today's movie, Jackie. I regret a bit that we won't be talking about Lorraine's earlier work because I'm sure there's a lot to dig into, but I hope we'll chart the trajectory from there through his next work leading up to this year's Spencer.
1: Yeah, and I think it sort of makes sense to prep us for Spencer because it's sort of like a unintentional trilogy of movies about broken women, mm. two of which being biopics and one of which being like a crazy fucking hmm. uh, non-historical <laughs> movie <laughs> that I love. Oh, um, I thought it was
2: based on a true person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a life she led. The movie we're, we're talking about
2: being Emma.
1: It came yes. out last year. Mm-hmm. Or two it? years ago. It's it was it's sort of iffy on release dates because, mm. because of festivals and stuff. Yeah. It's
0: also noteworthy because all of lorraine's movies that we're not discussing have male protagonists and the two that we'll be talking about have female protagonists Hmm. as it should be right
2: i kind of wait to watch spencer same i'm ready i'm excited to watch jackie basically again i don't know i've heard it's very different (laughs) i'm guessing i've heard it's different i'm sure it's different (laughs) (laughs) it's more white like the color scheme here. Oh. oh. <laughs> Compared to the poster I'm looking at for Jackie's very red.
1: I was like Jackie is pretty white. <laughs>
2: White's also a color.
1: Yes, yes it is. Yes it is, Ben. Thank you for reminding of the visual me. Visual spectrum. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Correct.
0: <laughs> so, as I said, Jackie's our popular pick. Technically, it's also what I'd call my deep cut pick based on what I've seen. I loved this movie when I saw it. I went on to read the script. I am of the mind, and I'll come out of the gate hot, that the direction by laraine the actress performances, Mika Levy's score, and Sebastian Sepulveda's editing are the things that really sharpen this movie. And Noah Oppenheim's script provides a really solid foundation that allows everyone to spring upwards. On this rewatch, I'm finding it to be very layered with meaning. And the levels of reality that it asks you to accept or question are complicated.
1: Yeah, because you have an unreliable narrator, right? Both in the
0: character of Jackie and in Laraine as a director. Yes. And he's very cognizant of that.
1: Oh, yes. The interesting thing about this movie is that he makes it clear to the audience sort of really near the beginning of the film, that what is depicted might not actually be true. Yeah. Mm. And does that even matter? Because the narrative that we are trying to follow here is Jackie's narrative. Right. What she wants to put out or what she feels. And then from then on, you're telling story through emotion rather than through chronological historical events.
2: Multiple times the film has Jackie tell you out loud that the media or the press or television portray something that might be a sort of fairy tale of real life events. Mm-hmm. The way that it's written and said is very plain, and essentially is kind of like the underlying thesis of how the film is approaching the subject matter, which is really interesting, and how it's approaching Jackie herself as a character who is in the press and in the media. It tees you up to to watch the movie in a certain way, alongside the kind of emotional roller coaster that it's going through.
0: The movie knows that Jackie herself is a character constructed for the sake of this movie. It has on its mind the privacy of public figures, and it uses a construction to sort of invade the privacy of that construction as a reminder of what happened to the real Jackie. Mm. And I find that really interesting. This little entree into our view of what the movie's doing with the character of Jackie bridges nicely into the context that I have for us to consider because it adds some layers of how these artists and this team was approaching this subject matter from a visual and sonic standpoint. So Darren Aronofsky was actually supposed to direct, but he dropped the directing position after then star Rachel Weisz and he stopped dating Mm. and he stayed on as a producer. So he saw El Club at Berlinale in 2015 and asked Pablo Larraín to direct, and Larraín was hesitant. It was his first biopic, he doesn't really like biopics, his first movie with a female protagonist, and his first movie in the English language. He said, quote, I'm not a big fan of biopics, to be honest, and I don't have any particular attachment to that history. But then I kind of connected with Jackie herself. I'd only worked with male main characters before, so this was the first time I could approach a woman's perspective. And the more I learned about her, how she was able to shape all these very complicated ideas of JFK's legacy, I wanted to explore that because it had all the elements that you need for a movie. Rage, curiosity, and love," end quote. Which is pretty nice. Mm. The crew, and I think this is important, was largely non-American. So Pablo Larraín and his editor, Sebastián Sepúlveda are Chilean, Production designer Jean Rabas, D.P. Stéphane Fontaine, set decorator Veronique Mellerie, costumer Madeleine Fontaine are French, and composer Mika Levy is British. So there isn't an overly dedicated or perhaps even self-referential angle to these artists who are constructing this picture about a piece of American history. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty interesting.
2: It lends itself well to have a crew that's non-american because you'll see it in like other biopics but like you have too much reverence for the material exactly Mm -hmm. you tend to approach the material differently because you already want to come at it with a certain angle but i think with this jackie the thing that i remember liking about it most is that despite being a biopic about a very famous woman it treats her as just a woman dealing with a very specific crisis It feels not really like a biopic, but more like a peek into a person's life. Mm -hmm. And that person just happens to be famous.
0: It respects her as a person more than as a public figure. And I think that makes a lot of difference. Definitely. And really sets this biopic apart from others.
2: I'm with Lara in in terms of not generally liking biopics that much. Yeah. But I think there are a few filmmakers that attack the biopic in a very smart way, just like this one does, which is to not try to condense one person's life into a movie. Mm. Yes. Which is what many, many of the most trite and boring biopics try and do. Which makes them feel like, you know, a lifetime movie. Right. They try and do essentially birth to death, which is the most boring way of doing a biopic.
0: And which Walk The Ballad of Dewey Cox, sends up so beautifully. (laughs) If you guys haven't seen it, it's such a funny movie. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, (laughs) Oh, maybe we got to find a way. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... I mean, the thing I love most about Jackie, the movie, is that it is structured very carefully, but also very emotionally. Mm. Mm-hmm. It has a few threads running through, and I love a well-structured movie, but here we have this containing narrative of the interview with the journalist. Mm-hmm. And that gives it a sort of shape. Yeah, And then after that, we go into a series of flashbacks into how... She remembers both the incident of the assassination of JFK, but also other memories of being the first lady. And then it starts off very structured and then starts to blend everything together, the different little narrative threads and different scenes, especially at the ending with the montage, to create an emotional landscape for Jackie, the character. And so you feel like you're going through a journey with her for only the few days that she spends with the journalist, even though the scenes you see are not contained to those few days. It feels very contained. And another filmmaker that I love who does this very well is Marielle Heller, who Mm. also approaches the biopic in a very considered way when she does. Her two most recent films are actually biopics, Will You Ever Forgive Me and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And they don't really follow any kind of birth to death kind of narrative and are also kind of focused on
1: events Mm. and the consequences of those events. Mm. Also they like they really they're really filmmakers that see these figures as people at the end mm. and is able to approach telling a story about this person without I guess without being scared of like tarnishing a name or dragging these people through the mud or like showing the showing the darker side of these people mm. and how they have crises that they have to go through. But I do think scope is a really big factor in the ability of telling these really emotionally resonant stories about these really iconic people. And it seems like this is going to be a similar thing with Spencer because what I mm. heard is that it takes place over a weekend. It's taking that kind
0: of look at the darker feelings of public figures in a way that other biopics don't, not just on a structural level, but also on a technical level. It's not so scandalous or leering, as other movies tend to be with those types of reactions and and feelings that public figures do go through because they're human. The difference that I want to zero in on is not just the editing as memory technique, which we'll absolutely dig into very deeply, but also Lorraine and Stephane Fontaine's, the DP's, approach to camera proximity to Natalie Portman's face. There is a lot of close-up in this movie. It announces itself from the very first shot, which is just her face, and on either side of this shot is just a black screen. He really wants you to pay attention to her face, and this does a number of things. One, of course, it gives you a lot of access to her emotion and forefronts the performance of Natalie Portman very generously, and I think appropriately, and is also why I agree with Wilson that Natalie Portman is, is snubbed for this performance. In an unacceptable way.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's such a sell, honestly. It's such a sell, right, to Academy voters. You are playing Jackie Kennedy. This is an iconic figure. How do you lose this? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the other thing that
0: that does, though. Because Natalie Portman does not look like Jackie, the real person, very, very closely. And they're not doing the, you know, Winston Churchill, Darkest Hour thing of you're going to have perfect prosthetics. You're going to (laughs) look exactly like this person. It creates a little distance. And that's important. One, it allows you to appreciate Natalie Portman's performance for its technical excellence. And two, it is feeding into this very deliberate, intentional direction that the movie's taking to Jackie herself. We're not invading the privacy of Jackie herself, because that's happened enough already in history. Mm. We are invading the privacy of this constructed character of Jackie as a reminder that the real Jackie was really horribly claimed by the public eye and she had to contend with very tough questions in the public eye. It is pushing you away a little bit in order to remind you of the things that the real Jackie had to go through by proxy. Mm. You know, she says in the movie directly, I value my privacy. I always have. And that line really sticks out to me as a reminder.
2: I think what was interesting on my second watch is that on my first watch, it was it was like a wave of grief. Mm-hmm. That's like the kind of experience. And so like I wasn't really paying so much attention to what the film was trying to say about Jackie and how she presented herself to other people. On the second watch, I found that the film was quite nuanced in the way that it was trying to portray Jackie as not just a woman under siege in terms of the media and the press, but also somebody who is actually quite shrewd and intelligent as to what's going on. And so Mm -hmm. there are moments where Jackie contradicts herself and you can see her playing the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think those moments stick out to me. So there's this point where they're trying to figure out whether there should be a procession. And she wants a procession because she wants to honor the death of her husband and the president of the United States. And so she pushes for it so hard. But then somehow she has a conversation with somebody that makes it seem like they were the ones who pushed her to do it, <laughs> even though she was the one to push for it the most. Yeah. And so she kind of does a little bit of double speak and is like gaslighting other people a little bit <laughs> because she's trying to be on the right side of the thing. Which is very much a thing that somebody who is in public eye, like the first lady, would have to be very savvy about. Mm -hmm. And so you can see those cracks in the veneer because it kind of gives you a inside-outside kind of view of Jackie the character. Yeah, well put. Which let you kind of figure out for yourself, who is Jackie really? Because as much as this creates a pretty compelling and inviting portrait of Jackie as a person... It doesn't really say definitively who she is. Yeah. And leaves quite a lot to our imagination, which I think heightens the quality of the movie because it doesn't say it knows who Jackie is. I think Natalie Portman knows, but she doesn't tell you. She only can show you through the performance. Right. And when I say performance, I also mean the performance of Jackie, the character, in public and private. And so she plays a very interesting game here as an actress that is very, very finely balanced. Yeah,
1: there are a lot of layers to it.
2: Yeah, she should have won the Oscar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The movie's structure, of course, is a journey closer and closer into her mind or her memory, more specifically. And you think you're getting closer and closer to who she is, but I think the movie very sneakily swaps out the cathartic climax of understanding who she is, which you don't get, for experiencing in full the moment of the assassination, which feels like it's a cathartic climax, but it's not exactly, because it doesn't resolve. And I'm also now realizing, based on what you're saying, Ben, one of the things that bumps me about this movie is that the ending is a lot of men saying, well, here's the thematic lesson you should take out of this movie. Here's how you should frame this memory in your head, Jackie. And for a while, I thought like, okay, I don't need like three different endings of, of a thematic message to take out of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I'm realizing that I think all of those messages come from the men surrounding Jackie. And Jackie doesn't give one that conclusively says who she is. Right. And that feels purposeful and like a sneaky swap as well. You're not really given a definitive theme or way of thinking about this movie to leave it with that feels really satisfying. It's just other people around her trying to impose their meaning of this life and this experience onto Jackie. Right. And you can do with that as you will. Right. You can take one of them, you can take multiple of them, or you can leave with an understanding that this Jackie is a construction Hmm. and you can't really know the real person and how she felt and what she thinks of all this. And maybe that's the most respectful thing to do. Yeah, I think that's a really nuanced thing to do with a biopic.
1: Yeah. And that's why the intimacy that the camera has with Jackie is so important. Yes. Because that is one of the only ways that you get a sort of glimpse of her interiority and also on it from a like a technical standpoint most of the movie is shot on wide angle lenses Mm. on Mm. super 16 so Mm -hmm. the the frame itself is a little more closed down on the sides which really aids itself for some really nice close-ups but the wide angle lenses means in order to get a close-up the camera person has to be physically a lot closer to the actors and Natalie Portman all the time. And what you feel as an audience member is that physical intimacy that you have with this face right in front of you. Like, it is more, like, tangible. It's more palpable. And I think that really... Makes you feel close to Jackie, hmm. but also makes you feel more present within the spaces that she's in. And also you get a sense of the the people tr- around her trying to impose their own narratives on her. It's an empathetic, emotional closeness to Jackie through these
0: close-ups, or rather to Natalie Portman's performance. Mm-hmm. But it's an intellectual distance from her because of all these things that we're talking about that keep you away from falsely believing this is an objective telling of Jackie's story and this period in her life.
2: Hmm. I think it's possible to watch this with a closeness. I think it's possible to come in this movie without critical distance. Hmm. And I think that's got. I don't mean I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it, but um, I kind of feel like that must be how I first experienced the movie. Yeah. Because the second thing is the score is is a fucking banger. Yeah, insane. Because it is a score that evokes so much mood and works very well in concert with the way the movie looks with the super 16 with the film grain and the kind of foggy nature of everything mm-hmm. it's a movie we watched on a really really fucking nice theater
1: <laughs> 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 that <laughs> fucking nice theater <laughs> which
2: really elevates the experience because i think watching on my tv i was like yeah it's a bit of a different experience right now
0: yeah but that's exactly right mm-hmm. i think you can watch it and be swept over by it and have no thoughts, just vibes. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then on this second viewing uh, also for me on a much smaller screen on my laptop, Mm. I was able to dig into it more and think about, okay, what's this actually doing here with Mm. the construction of Jackie herself? Yeah. And I agree that it's possible to watch it both ways. And I think that's why it's a success.
1: So, guys, I have this question. And I also have like a little bit of a, I don't know, a story, a tidbit. So I was going through my phone earlier this year and I was going through my reminders app. And I have a reminder on this phone that says... (laughs) What's going on? That says, watch Jackie. And it's dated February 2nd, 2022. So what had happened was you can bleep out this person's name because they... So I watched it for the first time. We all watched it in that same screening. And our friend bleep out that name. <laughs> okay. Really did not like this movie. Right. And him and I got into a really big argument not or discussion about this movie. And he said, he said to me at that time, he was like, watch this movie again in five years and tell me, come back and tell me if it holds up as well as it did on your first watch." So this is me five years down the line saying that... Wow, good timing. Even though it is a very different watch, I do think that there are other things past the visceral first reaction feeling that is worth talking about and worth commending about this film because it feels so rich and densely layered beneath the emotional, like, surface of the movie.
0: It is not just a pretty object, though it is also a pretty object.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. So does it hold up for you too? I I was wondering. Oh, yeah. I have
2: to say, I mean, like, five years later watching this thing, does it feel like the same five-star movie that I saw? Probably not. I mean, the viewing experience is different, for sure, definitely. But also, I also feel like, I'm just a different person
1: yeah. who
2: is looking at movies differently yeah. from five years ago. And so it's hard to really say or explain how it had an impact on me five years ago. Mm. But I can say that I remember the feeling I had. Ben, you wrote a poem about it. Yeah, I wrote a poem about it. But <laughs> for me, most movies, I don't remember like anything but the feeling that I had from watching a movie. Mm. Like Sometimes I can forget whole plots and I'll be like, oh, but I remember this movie made me feel X. Hmm. Example, A Separation. Didn't remember a single thing (laughs) and just knew that shit's good. (laughs) It is. So like, this one, is it as good as the first time? Uh, I don't know. I can still see all the technical elements that I appreciated the first time. Hmm. And we can get into those, aside from the ones we've already spoken about. But I mean, I still think it's a good movie. I think it has the elements of a good movie. Yeah. It doesn't have the novelty of the movie I saw when I first saw it. Hmm. But of course, no movie you watch the second time has that. No.
1: Yeah. But I feel like, especially with movies that try to get you so, like, just so in your face about how you, like, camera and sound, those tend to to play a lot differently on rewatches.
2: Hmm. It's like a style versus substance kind of, like, discussion kind of thing. Yeah. But it's interesting because here we are seeing that, When the style recedes, the substance does poke through Mm -hmm. in terms of the construction. And what is there is still very rich. Mm. And I mean, I think this discussion about who is the real Jackie, right? As much as it's not quite a cinematic experience to think about Mm -hmm. this thing, it's, it's quite an intellectual discussion. But that is another kind of movie that's also really good. A movie that makes you think about what you're looking at. Yeah. And that requires you to watch it at a different mode. So I think the fact that the movie can work in two modes is to its credit. Definitely. Yes. That we've been seeing. Like,
1: and yeah. Yeah. Because that means that the the story and the script at its core is still strong enough to when you strip away the directorial flourishes. Mm. not saying that it's so clean cut as in like this is the divide but when you do it's it's still very rewarding this is not so much about Jackie specifically but I'll use it
0: as a jumping off point in the same way that you see the moment of the assassination twice and both Jackie and you experience it in different ways each time though it is the same event and you're seeing it slightly differently. I really like what you said, Ben, about seeing the same movie and re-experiencing those emotions and those thoughts, but differently because you're a different person as time goes on. In that way, re-experiencing a movie is experiencing the same event and the same work of art Mm. and re-experiencing the same time, but you pass through it differently and it moves through you differently. And in that way, a movie as a memory becomes like a motif or a recurring image in a movie in the same way that that sequence in Jackie replaying works. Hmm. Yeah.
2: This is like a random aside, but I've been thinking a lot about that quote from Wong Y about his restorations. What's the quote? No man steps in the same river twice for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. Mm. And I feel like, I don't know how this man wrote something so poetic, but
1: <laughs> it... Because it's Wong Y bad. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>, I know. <laughs> How does he do it? But I mean, it makes sense. And as much as... Pe- I mean, this is a complete aside, but as much as people want to shit on him for restoring the films, it's, it is his is right as an artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a, just a person to, to want to fuck around with things. Yeah. Because he's no longer the same Wong he was in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Just like we're not the same people as from five years ago anymore.
0: <laughs> we're not the same people as five minutes ago. We're not doing Jackie impressions anymore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, my cells
0: are changing. All the time. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the edit. Mm, the edit. The edit. So it's not too deep a thing to say or notice that the way the movie works is largely on montage to create a feeling of memories moving in and out of each other associatively. That could be a gimmick, but it's not here because of how specifically it's tied to Jackie. And again, because... It is anchored to her through these close-ups and the emphasis on performance. But there are some really fun things that happen where there are scenes that play out like scenes in real time and I think something that's really special is that there are a lot of scenes that could play out in real time but there are time jumps between every shot. For example when Jackie is talking with Nancy in the White House at one point, and they're talking about their future together, are they going to stay together? And it doesn't play out in real time as a conversation. There are time jumps between every shot. So even a continuous memory becomes fragmented and associative. I think that's really cool. And it makes me think about other movies that we've discussed that deal with memory. I'm in the middle of editing our episode on We Need to Talk About Kevin, which has already been released at this point and you can find in our episode backlog. And I think about how when scenes come up in that movie, they play out in real time and there aren't time jumps between shots, but there are between scenes. I think it's kind of a special and quietly unique thing that in this movie, there's so many time jumps between shots within scenes. Yeah.
1: French New Wave, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like that. The idea of the camera is... There in that moment, capturing that moment. So once that moment's gone, right? Like you, once the camera readjusts itself, it's a new moment. Like that scene stuck out to me on this watch as well, because I kept on thinking about like every scene is a is a shot, mm. like it's, it's, it's it or a snapshot. Yeah, and it's sort of like a very well made highlights reel of of this moment in of this of this moment in their lives it is a really effective way of also conveying a lot of information and emotion about a person or a character in a short amount of time
0: the other fun thing that you get to have is a little bit of visual wordplay and what i'm thinking of specifically is you get a shot of Jackie struggling to remove her ring off of her finger And then the next shot is of her putting something in her mouth and then swallowing water. So you figure it's a pill. But you could conceivably think for a moment, as I did this time, that she swallowed her ring before realizing, oh, no, 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 it's a pill. (laughs) But there is a little bit of thematic meaning in that, right? Yeah. That it looks for a moment like she swallowed her ring. You can only get that through this kind of montage highlight reel
1: effect. Hmm. Do you know another deep cut film that really stuck out in my head when I was watching this movie that I was like, this has been birthed from birth. Oh. (laughs) Like, I feel like Jackie's predecessor is Jonathan Glazer's birth. Hmm. Not only because of the Mika Levy under the skin link, (laughs) but I think the the classical droney score that works so effectively in birth to immediately place you in a sense of unease Mika Levy's score works the exact same way here because without the score, it's very there. It's there's such beautiful images of people like really floating through beautiful places, mm. but it it is the score that really makes you feel like something's off and something's not right. And you also have women at the center of both movies that are really going through a horrible time and are is tortured by the idea of grief hmm. and how that manifests itself and how that, that comes up in different ways and how they deal with it. And I feel like there's a really clear connection between the two for me.
0: I'm not sure that the score in Jackie makes me feel uneasy, but it definitely puts me in the headspace that Ben described earlier of inside-outside, where it is heightening Jackie's emotions but also puts me a little bit outside them Mm -hmm. because they're so elegant and illustrious. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to exactly put my finger on this, but I feel both with her and without her through the score. I do wonder
2: how this movie plays without music. Mm. As much as the music does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of evoking a certain mood and to kind of make you feel like, yeah, something's not right here, I think there's enough going on in the frame that I don't think it is leaning completely on the music to to create that sense of unease because those jump cuts within the scene, in terms of time, yeah. they also create a sense of unease because True. it is like a record skipping, right? And you're like, uh, mm. like what's going on? So you don't have this like uh, temporal elegance to it. It's constantly moving without giving you a sense of why and when it's moving to. Mm. And that also creates a sense of unease. Like you never know when it's going to go to. Like for example, that conversation with the priest, when does that happen? When you first come across it, it seems like it's happened before the funeral but then later on you realize that that happens after the funeral procession and so there's a lot going on with the structure of the movie to already give you a sense of unease that i mean i do wonder like can we have a cut of this without music mm. <laughs> yeah
0: i really like that observation about the timeline confusion around Jackie's conversation with the priest or conversations. I think it might be multiple sessions. It's
1: possible. Yeah, I thought it might be
0: multiple. I have no idea, honestly. She's always just wearing black. (laughs) It makes me think of a line that I think sums up in perhaps an on-the-nose way, this movie's approach to editing and memory, which is the priest says to Jackie, take comfort in those memories. And he's referring to Good memories with Jack and the family all together. And Jackie says, I can't. They're mixed up with all the others. Mm. There's no rhyme or reason. And she can't control what memories attack her and when. And everything becomes associated with itself. So the good memories become bad memories because of what ultimately happens and mm. what she experiences. And vice versa. She speaks beautifully about how she tried to hold Jack's head together in the car and how beautiful his face looked and the expression on his face was. She speaks poetically about that and she speaks angrily about calmer moments. The emotional confusion that comes with the temporal confusion is really well drawn out through Natalie Portman's performance and Lorraine's direction and Sepulveda's editing.
2: That part of the conversation with the journalists about trying to keep JFK's hit together, I think this time I was struck by how early that happens because you would expect that this film would use that as some sort of climactic point, mm-hmm. but here it doesn't. It, sort of still does though. It's it, no, but you know it comes so early and you're like, oh, we're gonna talk about this right now. Yeah, but then when she relives it, mm, yeah, so she relives. That's true, but I think what I mean to say is like, it's almost like you think the journalist needs to pry this out of her, but then she just gives it like this throwaway thing, and so immediately you are primed to feel like. Oh, okay, the assassination is not the point.
0: I think it's a really smart choice because yeah. it diffuses any audience expectation that this is about the assassination and we're gonna re experience mm. it and look at how it happened. And that yes. you're right, Ben, that that's not the point.
2: It deflates it in a sense in terms of like your anticipation of like her talking about it. You're like, okay, let's just get to the heaviest shit. We're gonna get out of the way. And she just gets out of the way in that sense. Yeah. And that is the point of her doing that. And now you get to get a more thorough examination of the other aspects of Jackie as a character. Yeah. Part of the broader way this thing is put together in the edit is also tied together with the cinematography as well, where, for example, the journalistic portions are filmed very static. Yes. In mm-hmm. these Ozu-like frames, hmm. where like, you have these characters looking just slightly off camera, very similar to... What i call the confessional framing in our very first episode on afterlife where it's medium to medium close-up and people talking to you and so it creates a very strict sense of honesty mm-hmm. it's the best way i can put it right now where it feels like she is being very direct with mm. the journalist, but then of course you know that she is playing the game very carefully with the journalist mm. as well And so where you feel like you might have access to her, you don't. And the Mm -hmm. camera doesn't move. And you know she's presenting a version of herself to the journalist. Mm -hmm. And then with the flashbacks to the aftermath of the assassination, you have that free roving camera that kind of just floats around. Yeah, I feel like there's one more, but I can't think of it right now. I feel like there's just one more vibe (laughs) in terms of the cinematography, but I can't think of it right now. But just having those two at least, forms a very strict border between those sections when you're editing and watching it.
1: Yeah. And that's a really great way to distinguish between the two different storylines in Jackie as opposed to, like, for example in Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel where he uses different aspect ratios to distinguish between different narratives. But an interesting thing that I read about Jackie in the interview that no film school had with Stéphane Fontaine, was that the whole film had like a really, really tight shoot schedule. And from pre-production, I guess physical pre-production, not writing pre-production, to shoot, there was not that much time. So they shot all the interiors in France, and that's why a lot of the crew, mm-hmm. production designer, cinematographer, are French. Mm-hmm. And then when they went to the U.S. to shoot exteriors, including all of the stuff between Jackie and... Billy Crudup's journalist character was included in those U.S. shoots, which was not a lot of time. And in order to get through a lot of dialogue in the interview sequences, they had to decide on an easy way to shoot it. So that's why a lot of it is static. Well, I'm sure it was also story and directorially motivated, but it is very interesting to, to see see that this was a solution to an issue that they had so their direct singles that they cut between were basically shot at the same time oh Oh. so there was jackie and then two camera operators in between them and then billy crudup so they didn't really were they weren't even looking at each other when they were shooting those scenes is there even space with two camera ops between them? Well, it, the camera's like right in their face. Space can be
2: elongated. <laughs> no,
1: <I'm kidding. laughs> Man, that's that's the magic of movie
2: making. <laughs> I was thinking now of a third style that comes on in those sections where Jackie gives a tour of the White House. Mm-hmm. Where it uses those black and white filmed footage of Natalie Portman playing Jackie doing tour I do wonder about how accurate they are to the actual. But that one's really interesting because you have an intercut between the television footage, which is in black and white, and then also of what Jackie is seeing, or like kind of like a behind-the-scenes footage of the filming process. Mm -hmm. And just cutting back and forth between color and black and white is extremely jarring. And immediately makes you think about that code switching that Jackie does in her day-to-day life. Like, here's Jackie on camera. Here's Jackie interacting with Nancy, who she is the most vulnerable with compared to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's very interesting because it is technically the same Jackie in the same moment. It's just when she turns on for the cameras, it's different.
0: Yeah. The other effect of using actual archival footage, which this movie does, especially Mm -hmm. around the outdoors funeral passages, Mm -hmm. and archival audio of JFK's voice, recreation of actual archival footage and entirely new creation of footage that has never existed, of course, is that it creates separate layers of reality and is a little reminder of the non-objectivity of what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And it is both a nice way to lower your budget a little bit. You don't need as many crowds to film. (laughs) Yeah. And it also has the effect of critically distancing the viewer a little bit, as we've been talking about.
2: You can tell when they cut to those archival footages of the funeral procession where it's slightly grainier and more. Yeah, there's a
1: little more dust on the... Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and it's interesting because it throws you out a little bit because you're like, oh, wait, that's not Mandy Portman. There's a second there where you are looking at Jackie Yeah, when she steps out of the car. And then there's... It feels a little uncomfortable actually seeing Jackie in the film. Mm -hmm. Because... You're given this extreme private access to a recreated version of her. And then to have her kind of just as herself slapped into the film for a wide shot, it seems, feels uncomfortable. I'm not saying that as a critique. I'm saying that it creates this sense of discomfort that makes you remember you're watching a movie. Yeah. Uh, which I think is really smart. And it's not trying to hide the fact that this is archival footage, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I did think that they were, they did try to blur the line. Yeah. Like the the decision to shoot on 16 was largely informed by the fact that Lorraine wanted to use archival footage in the film. Mm. But it was a little freaky this time when I looked at one of the shots and I was like, wait, that's like, that's the real, that's the real Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: also want to shout out that John Hurt's in this movie, and he's one of my favorite actors, (laughs) and it's the second time that we're talking about him on the pod. John Hurt. He really saves what could be an incredibly trite role Mm. of just someone to feed thematic material through dialogue to Jackie and the audience. He really makes it feel more like a lived-in character, and the pauses that he takes and the little eye movements that he does make that priest feel like a real person he's great
1: Mm. yeah no he's a great actor love you john hurt
2: he gives it a lot of gravitas Mm. but also like with like a certain down-to-earth quality to yeah the character i
1: think yeah i love john hurt Mm -hmm. wait what was the other oh was tinker taylor soldier spy gotcha 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 gotcha. he was good as a doctor (laughs) as a doctor
2: he's one of the doctors in doctor who oh yes If you didn't know forgot
0: that
1: yes yes he was the, He was there for the special. he was, the, he was yeah. the 50th or whatever 100th episode, whatever. He's yeah. a non-numbered doctor
2: yeah. He's a doctor in in't I don't, I don't want to get into this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's too complicated, but he was good, even though the episodes were not yeah, they' okay.
1: Hey <laughs> they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Some of them are really good.
0: My only frame of reference with Doctor Who is the "Are you my Mummy episodes?
1: Are you my mummy? Mm. That was freaky. The original um, showrunner is coming back to, to showrun the new season. Wait, what? Yeah, Russell T. Davies is coming RTD's back. RTD's coming yeah, back? Yeah, yeah. Something to be excited more about. more money? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. D. Who is very back. Very interested? tuning in. Sorry. Yeah. Cut the
0: detour Sorry. out.
1: <laughs> cut it out. No, I'm leaving it in.
2: <laughs> Ch- Chibnall has been a weird showrunner.
1: It's been so many seasons as well. He's
2: like woke, but not good at his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and <laughs> it feels
2: icky. It's like I know what you're doing. Yeah,
1: the Whitaker yeah. stuff has not been great, honestly. It's been
2: pretty bad, and it's, it's mm. a kind of a shame. It's like a waste of the first female doctor. Yeah,
1: I used to be such a big Doctor Who fan. And
2: then like trying to be all like woke, but then like fucking it
0: up is just annoying. <laughs> dumb, 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 dumb. Anyway. <laughs> What
2: are we talking about?
0: Back to Jackie. <laughs> that I feel like we've talked about most things with this movie.
2: I do remember one thing. I just, just popped my head, which is like, is there a suggestion that Bobby and Jackie are closer than they seem?
0: Uh, like closer in italics or? Yeah. Yeah. Like in italics. No. Oh. I don't read it that way.
2: I feel it, but I, I, I don't have any, I just feel it. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, it's just like the actors. They're both yeah. hot.
2: Cause he's, like, so overprotected.
0: Oh, we totally forgot to talk about Peter Sarsgaard' performance as Bobby. Hunter Harris has a hilarious article on Vulture. Oh, I read I read the article. About this one line reading that, that Peter Sarsgaard does. <laughs> what did we
1: accomplish?
0: Accomplish. I don't know. I'm content. What yeah, do you guys think?
1: Me too. Yeah. This is a good movie. It is a good movie. I really love it. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to fight for my life next week. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson,
0: how are you anticipating? Because Ben, you have not seen Emma either, right? I have. Seen... No, he
1: has, and oh. Ben doesn't like it. That's <gasps> why I'm fighting for my life. Oh,
0: we're going in for a fight episode. I didn't say I hate it.
1: It is. It is very interesting to to sort of track it because Emma comes right after Jackie. Yeah, and then he he sort of just is is making three female led films in a row, and it just feels so different from jackie it feels more nihilistic it also feels like he's just he's, he's having more fun it's sort of a celebration but also like a burning down at the same time i feel oh yeah It it's it's groovy it's, it's it's sexy it's like i don't know i really i really love it i really love both movies for, for different ways the face ben
0: just made
2: i don't know it's okay i don't know i don't know it's okay
0: okay we'll save it for next episode okay you can't give it all away there are two kinds of deep cut episodes the ones where we all praise the movie and, and the ones where we disagree
2: well we throw in each other's eyes
0: yeah
1: yeah, but politely.
0: <laughs> Always politely.
1: Yeah, I see the point you're making, but <laughs> but fuck you. <laughs> Thank you for
0: listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Deep Cut Pod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. Jackie voices?
1: I'm Wilson. No. <laughs> that was a Bjork voice. Sorry. <laughs> <gasps> oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm Wilson. No. I.
0: Go. I don't even know.
1: <laughs> I'm Ben.
2: <laughs> I'm Eli.
0: <laughs> Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Put a little sauce on it on the uh, last line this time. Yeah.
1: Camelot.
0: Find a
2: link to our Discord in the description of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I
0: think Lyndon's a member of the Discord. Maybe Barbie, Caroline.
1: Lyndon's always been very
0: nice <laughs> on our Twitter responses. <laughs>